we're going to have a good uh, we're going to have a good time uh, tonight. Let's open up in uh, let's open up in a word of prayer, and then we are we're going to dive uh, right in tonight. Let's uh, let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you for all that you have done, God. We just take a moment right now and pause. Uh, to recognize your goodness, to recognize your greatness. For surely you are the infinite creator, uh, but surely you are also the intimate father. And God, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you that all power is in your hand. And yet at the same time, God, you choose to live and love uh, in relationship with us, God, Lord, we just we just thank you for that. And God, I just pray uh, that tonight, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Pray you would open up our eyes. God, I pray that you would have your way uh, in us and in this place tonight. God, that we would leave with a clear picture, uh, God, of who you are, a clear picture of uh, of your word and what you are speaking uh, to us through your word. And we thank you for it. And it is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Hey, I am really uh, excited um, uh, about these Wednesday nights, uh, and who knows what will, what will begin to happen, um, you know, after this year. But for this year, for sure, we are committing to these Wednesday night Bible classes um, as, part of our, as part of our grow, right? It's part of our grow. We, we came into this year, we said there's three things that we're going to focus on. That's in um, intentional discipleship, intentional generosity, and intentional hospitality. And we're going to break those down. We're actually starting a series in uh, uh, not this coming week, but the, the following Sunday. I'm entitled Grow, Give, Gather. Grow, Give, Gather, because you know, I mean, it all has to start with the same letter if it's from God, and it kind of needs to be the same. You know? And so, like, you know, it's just, it's just, you know, what I'm saying, it's like <laughs> intentional discipleship. It's so long, right? Just grow, right? Okay, you know. So, uh, I've, really, I've got to be able to remember it. Like, I was talking to our staff about we're committed to these three things, and I couldn't remember the third one. That's when I was like, my God, we got to find three words to start with the same letter so I can remember it. Um, and uh, and so. So we're, we're in this whole process of saying, okay, we, we want to grow in intentional discipleship. And, and we're going to be spending a couple weeks talking about what discipleship really is on Sunday. But, but just for our context today, discipleship is the process. We define discipleship as our process to progress, okay? But the real process that we enter into that's the ultimate progress for us as Jesus followers is that we start to look like Jesus, <laughs> That is the process that we enter into, the process of following him so that we could be like him. That is discipleship. So whenever we talk about this year of growing, okay, it's not just, oh, we want to, you know, grow in, uh, in our knowledge and we just want to grow in this. No, we want to grow more like him. Now, what that means is that we do need to grow in knowledge because we need to know who he is and what's his way and his will. Like, well, yeah, of course, we've got to grow in knowledge. And, and that's why these Wednesday nights are going to be so important because we do need to grow. We do need to increase our understanding and our knowledge. Yes, but it's for the purpose of being more like him, of growing more and more like Christ. And so as we talk about intentional discipleship, we are talking about making a commitment to our lives looking more and more like Jesus. That's it. That's what discipleship is. And, you know, and, and then whenever you, whenever you look back in, like, the, the, the Jesus time period, right, the, these rabbis, they were these Jewish leaders 
they all had disciples. Jesus was not the first person that ever had a disciple, okay? So there were other people that were these rabbis, these teachers, and they would have followers. You could say they had, they had students, right? They had, they had people that were trying to learn and to glean from them so that they could be more like this highly esteemed teacher, this leader, that this is what was happening. So when Jesus came along, this wasn't like the first time this ever happened. Uh, but the interesting thing is this, is that Jesus does like this flip on it because the, the student would always have to pursue the teacher. The student would almost have to be begging the teacher, please let me follow you. Please let me be your student. Please let me be your disciple. Please let me be a part of your tribe. They were eagerly awaiting, and the student would have to perform and show that they could be and they could do, and they had this capacity. And then finally the teacher would say, okay, you're, you're worthy to come and to be a part of my group. And now we know it's the very opposite with Jesus. Because Jesus showed up and he said, hey, you come and follow me. Think about how opposite this was to these people who had always lived this way of like, man, you have to work and work and work just to be accepted. And now Jesus flips the script and he tells to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew and James and John sitting right there on the Sea of Galilee. And he says, I want you guys to follow me. Whoa. Here it is, the Messiah, flipping the script. And so the beautiful thing about Jesus is that you don't have to prove yourself to say, I am proving that I am worthy, Jesus, to be your disciple. The glory of the gospel is that Jesus says, come and follow. I want you to be my disciple. I want you to be in my tribe. I want you to be included with what I'm doing. And if you will just come and follow me, I will take responsibility for making you more like me. Come on, that's the best deal anybody could say. I mean, that's as good as it gets. Like, you, I'm giving you the invitation, and I'm not just going to give you the invitation. I'm also going to give you the inspiration because I'm going to come and live on the inside of you. I'm going to help lead and guide you. So he's inviting us to be a disciple, to be a follower. He's inviting us to grow, and he's saying, but you know what? You're not going to do very good on your own. <laughs> You know, I've watched humanity far too long. Like, you're, you're going to really mess this up, and you're going to mess it up even with me in there. And so, you know, that's a whole other story. But anyway, so Jesus says, I'm going to come, and my spirit is going to live on the inside of you, and I'm going to empower you. Come on, that is, that is good, good news. And that's what we're committing to this year. We are committing to grow. We are committing to let Jesus have his way in our life. Why? So that we can grow and look more and more and more like Christ. And in this year, 2022, we've, we've declared this is our year to advance, right? And, and make no mistake about it, you can, you can advance in your career. You, you can advance in society. You can advance in all of these areas. But the ultimate goal of us advancing is to advance in our relationship with Christ, to advance in our fellowship with him, to advance in our lives, looking more and more and more like him. And so if we want to grow this year, if we want to grow, then the first place we need to go is into the Bible. We need to go into the word of God and we need to uh, begin to take the, 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 the thoughts and the ideas and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that comes from his word and begin to apply those to our lives. Because this, this really is, this is where we learn about God, right? 
This is where we learn about his will. This is where we learn about his way. This is where we learn about his character. This is where we learn about his kingdom. This is where we learn about how God thinks and how God feels. This is where we learn about his love. This is where we learn about his grace. This is where we learn about his justice. This is where we learn about God. This is where we learn about the story of God. And it's also where we learn where we fit in the story. Right? You know, and it's very easy for us, right, to begin to, uh, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me, for, for the world to begin to revolve around me. <laughs> I, I like that, honestly. I like when the whole world is revolving around me, when I'm in the center of the story. But whenever we begin to read the word of God, we realize, wow, this is his story. I fit in his story. It just does not revolve around me. It revolves around him. And we begin to put ourselves in his story. And so, so we're going to start today, and I'm, I'm just kind of give you a, a little a framework and then uh, let you know where we're going to be going in these next few weeks. And I think it's going to be uh, really, really powerful. I'm really excited about it. Um, but let me just start with this. Since, since we are in this, uh, uh, in this Bible class, this very first, first night, I just want to start with this, uh, that, you know, whenever you look at this book, I was actually, I was talking with, uh, uh, with, with with uh, Pastor Alex earlier today, and and I was we were just talking about the the Bible, and and we were talking about just how intimidating this book can be. I mean, I don't know what you know what your how many pages are in your Bible, but I mean I'm like over a thousand pages, right? A thousand pages, and how whenever you look at this Bible, it can be so intimidating. It's intimidating because there's names in here that you cannot pronounce. Right? It's intimidating because it's talking about places that you've never heard of. Right? It, it, it can be intimidating because I don't know when this, when this, when this took place. You know, I love like asking my kids, how long ago did Jesus live? And like, a hundred years. You know, it's like there's just there's no context for okay, well, when when was Abraham here, and when was David here, and when did Jesus show up, and how long are these, like, it's just like, oh my God, it can be so incredibly intimidating, and, and we have no idea who some of these people are, we have no idea where they fit into the story, we don't know when these things are happening, we don't know where these things are taking place, and then sometimes I don't even understand how this applies to my life, and I don't understand why does this matter at all, and we, we find ourselves in this whole thing, and, and the Bible can be just very intimidating. So let me just say, the, the very key to us meeting in here on Wednesday nights is to begin to break that down and say, you know what, this, the Bible is not as intimidating as sometimes we believe it is. The Bible is a beautiful story. We're going to go into what the Bible is in just a minute. But it just starts with us saying, okay, it's not as intimidating. It's not as intimidating as many times maybe we feel that it is. And so the purpose of our time together over these, these weeks and months that we have, it, it's really for us to gain a clear understanding of what the Bible is all about. To, to establish some fundamental knowledge of the important themes, places, people, and moments in the scriptures. It's to take away some practical tips of how to effectively read your Bible. How do you, how do you uh, begin to understand what you are reading? How do you implement what you read into your daily life? To answer some questions that you might have. This is what this class is all about. And I want to start by a disclaimer. And I want to start by saying, listen, I am no theologian. 
we don't have, and nobody on our staff claims to be a, a world-class theologian. Okay, we don't have all of the answers, but here's what I do know. Together, we can find the answers and we can move forward as a community. Together, our lives can look more and more like Jesus as we go on this journey together. So let's talk about the Bible just real quickly. Got a few things that we're going to go through and, and, uh, and then we'll, 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 we'll talk through a few different things real quickly about the Bible. Let's just talk about some facts. Uh, uh, the Bible, you know, I just said there's like a thousand pages, right? But, but the Bible is not a book, okay? The Bible is actually a collection of books. It's not a book. It is a collection of books. It's it's a collection of 66 books, to be exact. 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 books in the New Testament. Now, we talk about that a lot, Old Testament, New Testament. Anybody know what the word testament actually means? Anybody? Covenant. Very good. I've got a few people here in Bible boot camp, okay? Bible boot camp right there. Uh, and, uh, And it means covenant. So when you look at the Old Testament, New Testament, you'd say, okay, what is the thing that separates those things? And it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the thing that divides the Old Testament and the New Testament. And when Jesus came, what did Jesus come to do? He came to give us a new covenant. No longer were we showing up at the temple to sacrifice bulls and doves and things for the forgiveness of sins. And no longer was that the way it was. No, Jesus was the sacrifice once and for all, right? And so Jesus is the separator of the Old Testament and the New Testament because that was the old covenant, the covenant of Israel, the the Jewish covenant, and now Jesus comes with a covenant that's not just for the Jewish people, but it is a covenant for all people. So we see here 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament, and and the Old Testament is kind of divided into a few things, and you have the the Pentateuch or the Torah. These are the first five books of the Bible um, written by Moses, and then you get into the the historical books is where you read the history of, uh, of Israel, you you know you First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings. You, you you get just books of of the history. You get the uh, the third division, and that's poetry and wisdom. This is where you read the Psalms, the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Uh, you find those books there, and then you have the prophets. And uh, you can break the prophets up into what's called the major prophets and the minor prophets. And it wasn't like they were the major prophets were more holy and the minor prophets were less holy. It's just how really how long the book was. So if you're just long winded, you got to be named a major prophet, okay? And so they they uh, uh, so you have you have the prophetic books there, and they are prophesying. They they are prophesying to Israel about what was to come. They were prophesying even several of these prophets prophesying about Jesus that we'll look at in just a moment. And so those are the kind of the breakdown that you have of the Old Testament. So you have kind of the beginning, how we got here, the beginning of, 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 of Israel. Then you get to the history. It just kind of tells the story of, of when Israel had kings and judges and all these different things. And, and then you get these beautiful books of poetry and, and the, the Psalms and books of wisdom like Proverbs. And then you find the, the, the prophets. Um, and the prophets can be Sometimes confusing. Uh, in the New Testament, in the New Testament, you really have two divisions. You have uh, what is called the Gospels, okay, the Gospels. Uh, the Gospels are the, the accounts of Jesus here on the earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. So you have the Gospels and the book of Acts. The book of Acts is actually, it's the, the beginning of the early church, okay? So it's the story of the church starting on the earth. And so what you have is you have the four Gospels in the book, the book of Acts, those are the first five books of the New Testament. So uh, those are the Gospel and Acts. And then the second division 
is really called uh, like the, you have like the letters uh, or the, the epistles. Okay, these are, are letters that the apostles wrote. Um, sometimes they wrote them to a church. Uh, sometimes they wrote them to a person. Uh, and so we have these letters. And then you also have the book of Revelation. So in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, you have these books. And in the New Testament, you have these other divisions of these books. And whenever you look at that, you, you ask yourself, okay, well, from, from all of, of that, well, I mean, okay, what, I mean, what is the Bible? Man, that's a lot of stuff, man. They were just, we were just diving into it, but that's already a lot. So what is the Bible? Well, the, the Bible, if you really look at it, right, the Bible was composed of, of one author, okay, over 1,500 years. Now, that one author uh, uh, used about 40 writers, okay, to, to pen his words. And so we could say today, is it correct that God wrote the Bible? Well, yes. Is it also correct to say that 40 people wrote the Bible? Yes, they, it is both true. God inspired 40 people to write. So it was one author using 40 people to write this book that we have. So there were 40 writers that wrote these 66 books that we talked about just a moment ago. And this is what the scripture teaches us. It teaches us that, that these men were inspired by God to communicate his message to the world. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says all scripture is inspired by God. It's all inspired by God. And it is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. So all the scripture, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the historical books and the gospels, they, they are all written and they are inspired by God, and they are inspired by God to teach us what is true. It is, it is also to reveal to us and show us what's, what's wrong with, with us, what's wrong with our lives. It's there to correct us. It's there to inspire us and to teach us. Uh, the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. So he's saying that everything that you read in, in the Bible, don't ever think that it just came from man. It did not just come from somebody's creativity. It did not just come from somebody's own desire. But no, what we have in the word of God, it came from the very heart of God. It came from the very mouth of God. It was penned by the very spirit of God. And that is very, very important as we dive into the scripture to understand that these weren't people just putting their opinions down on paper that we said, oh, wow, that's a good idea. Let's keep that in the Bible. No, these are, this is the, we believe that this, as Christians, as Christ followers, we believe that this is God's inspired word for us, his people. And when we look at the Bible, you know, the Bible is, it's, I mean, it's really a, a superb storybook. It, it, it is so much more than, than just a, a collection of stories. We said it's 66 books. The thing that makes the Bible so amazing is although it is a collection of 66 books, the 66 books all tell one story. And that's the most beautiful thing about the Bible is because it is, it is a collection of stories that tells this one perfect, whole, complete story. Story and 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 at the center of the story is God, 
and what he is doing with the world and what he's doing with human race. And, and, it, and it stretches all the way across the Bible. And so as we, as we open the Bible, there's one thing that would be helpful. It's very helpful for us to, to see and to understand so we don't get lost in all of the details. It's really just to understand, okay, what is the big picture? What's the big picture of the Bible? Because I mean, you you I mean, you, you can get lost up in Ezekiel, and you can like not be able to tie your shoelaces. I mean, you can be like, what? I mean, this guy like, man, there had to be some drugs involved. I mean, like you're just like, I don't know what's going on in this story, and 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 you you can you can get in there. But sometimes what happens is we can get so lost in the detail, but it's so important that we simply remember the bigger picture. So, what is the larger picture of the Bible? The bigger picture of the Bible, it really, the Bible really has, the, the big story of God, the big story of the Bible, it really has six main parts. Let me just give these to you real quick. We're going to talk about each of them for just a second. Number one is creation. Number two is the fall. Number three is Israel. Number four is Jesus, and we're going to go back through these so as you, as you write them down. Number five is, uh, is Christ's followers, or you could just say the church body of Christ. And then the sixth is the, the end times. Because it's, it's, the, it's the big story. It's the, it's the main six parts. So let's do just a quick overview of, of, of the big story of God. Okay, So it starts with, number one is creation. In Genesis 1, verse 1, it says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. How God did that? I don't know. I don't know. He asked me, you know, did, did, it, did it really happen in seven days? I don't know. Did Moses just see it in seven days? I don't know. Did it happen in a thousand years? Because a thousand years is like one day to the Lord. And so did it happen in a thousand years? I don't know. Was it, was it just talking about a season? A day is like a season. We don't even know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. God created the heavens and the earth. I know that God created. I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you believe. You can tell I believe it's seven days and you got a theory for this and you say, I believe it took 7,000 years and I'm like, hey, that's great. It doesn't matter to me. The thing that matters is that I believe God made it. There was nothing God spoke and there was something. And if he did it in seven seconds, seven days or 70,000 years, I, it doesn't matter to me one bit. It was nothing there. God spoke it and it happened and that is creation. And so when people say, uh, do, you, you know, do you believe in the, what's it, the, the Big Bang, right? I say, yeah, I bet it was a Big Bang. <laughs> I bet when there was nothing and God said something, boom, it was a Big Bang, all right. I, I'm in the Big Bang theory, you know, I believe it. You know, but here's what we believe. We believe that God spoke and it happened. Right, I, I, I'm not going to get lost. And 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 have you been in Bible boot camp? This is where you know uh, I teach the Bible. I mean, this is where I can get all twisted up sideways. Uh, because here's what people do: people spend all this time talking about this is how it begins, how this is how it begins, how it began. You don't know how it began. The smartest people in the world who study the Bible their whole lives argue about how it started. And you know what else they argue about? How it's going to end. And guess what? You don't know how it's going to end. Except you know at the end. He's in control. At the end, you know he wins. How, when, why, where, I, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know. I just know that he says in the end, he's got me covered. That's all I know. So I don't know how it started. I don't know how it's in. So I'm not going to waste my time, effort, and energy trying to figure out how that's. I just know he said it was nothing, and it became something. He created the heavens and earth. I, I believe Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. 
God created everything. And it's very important that we see that on the last day of creation, he made man in his image. Now, I, I, I want you to, to think about this, that God did everything else first, okay? I mean, we would say, I mean, I, I did, that humanity was God's best work, right? I mean, even God himself said, this was good, this was good, this was good, this was good. When he created man, he said, this is very good, okay? I mean, the, the fact is, is, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, if you're, uh, you know, a big, you know, uh, animal lover, I, I apologize. Uh, but, you know, the, the reality of Jesus didn't die for your dog, okay? All right, he, he didn't die. He didn't die for your cat, all right? He died for you, okay? He died for humanity. He didn't die for the animals. Do all dogs go to heaven? I don't know. And, you know, it's just a, he died for you. He can't, humanity is, is, is his greatest creation. It's his most. Now, I don't know about you, but it's like, I mean, I always want the best first, right? I want to do the best. So it like makes sense. Like if God started with everything, it's like that God would create human, that God would create humans first and then the animals and then he would make everything else and then he would cause the trees and the birds and the waters and all the other things. But that's not how God did it. God waited till the very end, and I think there's something very powerful that we get to see in creation so many times, and we miss it, and that is the power of the environment. That God created the whole atmosphere and environment, and then he inserted man into it. Because your environment determines what lives and what dies. The atmosphere that you create in your home determines what lives and what dies. The atmosphere you create in your life determines what, what, what lives, what dies, what thrives, what flourishes, what doesn't. It's the atmosphere, it's the environment. And so I think that God, right off the very beginning, whenever, he, whenever he, he started with creation, he was showing us the importance of creating an environment that would allow whatever you want to thrive to be able to thrive. Think about when he created humanity. There was already the oxygen in the air, the nitrogen. Everything was perfectly balanced. Everything for Adam, whenever God breathed in Adam, and Adam stood up and he took his first breath of this air that God created, everything worked perfectly within his system. That that is just amazing. It's incredible. God created this beautiful environment for Adam. And then he placed him in there. There is so much power and importance in our environments and in our, and in our atmospheres. And then what we see in the garden is that we see God partnering with humanity, right? God partnering with humanity. Think about this. Adam had relationship with God, but he had responsibility in the garden. Adam had relationship with God. They were talking face to face. He had relationship with God. But you know what God did? God gave Adam a job. God said, you're going to work the garden. This is what you're going to do. I'm going to have relationship with you, but you're going to have responsibility. You see, so many times we want to live without the responsibility. I want to live in the relationship, and I want to live in the forgiveness, and I want to live in the grace, and I want to live in the mercy, and I want to live in the love of God. But God says, no, I'm giving you res the same way he did to Adam. He said, I'm giving you responsibility. I'm putting you on the earth, and I'm putting you here with the mission. 
I'm giving you an assignment on the earth. And, and yes, I want to be in relationship with you, but yes, you also have a responsibility. So here in creation, we see these two powerful things is that God's taking very much care of the atmosphere and the environment before he inserts man. And so we need to take care of our atmosphere. We need to take care of our environment. We got to make sure that we are listening and watching and, and doing all these things, to the, the right things, right? Because our environment is going to determine what grows and, and what doesn't grow on the inside of us. And so I've got to make sure I'm creating an environment that I can I, that I can grow in. That's number one. And then, and then number two, I have to make sure that I am not just living in relationship with God, but I'm also living according to the responsibility that God has given me as his follower. So we see all of this in creation. And then after creation, then there's the fall. I mean, you know, it, 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 you know it, I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if like humanity could have made it more than two chapters? <laughs> Like I mean, like I mean, would that just have been awesome? Like I mean, if you could at least like get to ha- like halfway in the story before like we blow it. I mean, it's like chapter one, God created. Chapter three, people were stupid. You know, I mean, like it's like oh God, we didn't even make it to chapter four. Yeah, you know, here it is in chapter three. Right, the Bible says that the serpent shows up in the garden. The enemy, the devil, shows up in the garden and and tempts Eve, and then she persuades Adam, and through their disobedience, sin enters into the world. But here's the beautiful thing, is that even in the fall, we see God's commitment to humanity, right? Even in the fall, we see God's commitment. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, it says, and the Lord God made clothing from the animal skins for Adam and his wife. God's commitment to humanity. This is such a beautiful thing because we, we know what God told Adam and Eve, right? He says, look, if you eat from this tree, you are going to die. It's what's going to happen because God knew when sin entered the world, death is going to come. Now, I mean, they may have thought I'm going to eat and die, and they ate and then they didn't die, and they thought, oh, wow, maybe we're getting all free, you know? And then they're like, oh, wow, you're naked. Oh, wow, you're naked too. Let's hide. And they're like, oh, something's changed, right? And so now they realize the process is happening, because they covered themselves with fig leaves. But we all know what happens. What happens when you take a leaf off a tree? It dies, right? <laughs> and, and what was covering you at one time ain't covering you anymore. So what God did is God, God says he covered them with animal skin. Where did God get those animal skins? God had to kill animals. God had to sacrifice the animals to, to cover them. That, that's why we understand that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So who shed the very first blood for the forgiveness of sin? It was, it was, it was God. God was showing Adam and Eve, this is how you have to do this. And so he kills the animal and he covers them with, 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 with the animal skins. It's a beautiful picture of like God's commitment to humanity, even in the midst of their rebellion. Now, are, were there consequences? Sure. Did they get kicked out? Absolutely. But even in getting kicked out, do you understand that even God kicking them out of the garden? So many times, like, that's what we hear, right? And, and that's the way it's portrayed in, like, Sunday school class, right? You, you grew up with the little felt things on the board, you know? If you're old, you guys don't know anything about that. You know, it's like you grew up, and there's, like, the felt Jesus on the board, you know? And it's like they were in the garden, and they ate, and then God kicked them out of the garden. You know, God kicked them out of the garden for their own good? they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but you know what would have happened if they would have eaten from the tree of life in that state? They would have lived forever in sin. And nobody, nobody, nobody talks about that. 
It's not about, oh, they were disobedient. God kicked them out of the garden. No, God in his love and in his grace said, if I allow you to stay in this garden and you eat from this other tree, you will live forever in the sinful state that is separating from you. So the best thing I can do is to kick you out of this garden so that eventually you can spend eternity with me, but it's not going to happen if you eat from this tree. And so God kicks them out of the garden. It's a picture of mercy. It's a picture of love. It's a, it's a picture of grace that God says you can't stay because if you stay, you have access to that. And if you access that, you can never access me the way that you'll be able to otherwise. It's beautiful. It's God's commitment to humanity. The fall explains so much about our world today, the, the relationship with God that was broken and, 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 and sin that is, uh, that, is, that is dominating so much of, of our world and that we have personally experienced in, in our own lives, right? And so here, here's the, the third thing, uh, the third thing um, in the story, and, and that is Israel, okay? And this, this really begins in Genesis chapter 12. So in Genesis chapter 1, you have creation. In Genesis chapter 3, you have the fall. And then God begins to tell the story. And you get to Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, this is where God says, okay, all right, I mean, now Noah has already happened, right? The flood, everybody has died. Noah and his family, the earth was being repopulated. Uh, you get the Tower of Babel happening in there. Uh, they all come together. They build this tower to heaven, and, and God confuses all of their languages. and all this. So all of these things have happened in this time. And then you get to this place, and, and, and God's like, man, I, these people are all crazy. I got to have a people for myself. I want to call a people for myself. And that's where we find God uh, choosing one man. He chose a, a man by the name of Abram. God would eventually change his name to Abraham. Uh, and God would establish covenant with, with Abram. And God would give him a, a promise. And his promise is that he would have a, a massive family. Uh, that, that he would have land and that, that he would uh, be blessed. And this was the, the promise of Abraham. You can find it in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God giving him, saying, you're going to have a family. He goes in Genesis 15. He says, look, your family is going to be, uh, it's going to be bigger, more, more sand uh, than, on, than you can see on the seashore, more stars than you can see in the sky. That's how, ma- that's how many descendants you are going to have. He says, you're gonna, I'm going to, go to a, you're gonna get to a land. I'm going to show you that land. You've never seen this land, but I have a land prepared for you. It's a fertile land. It's a fruitful land. It's a good land. And he says, and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you beyond your wildest dreams, and whoever blesses you will be blessed, and whoever curses you will be curse. That's the blessing that I am putting on your life. And so now we see this, this man named, named Abram, and, and, and God would change his name to Abraham and his wife, and, and they go on this journey, and they, uh, they, they have a, a son, and it just, it, it just goes on, and the family begins to grow. And, and then over nearly 2,000 years, uh, you, you see the, uh, man, the, the Israelites, is they, they're, they're slaves in Egypt for 400 years. They're, there's the Exodus, Moses leading them out. Moses going and getting the Ten Commandments. Uh, uh, Joshua leading the people into the promised land. And then there's these kings established, starting with Saul and, and then David and his his, David's son Solomon, and, and then the, 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 the temple is built, and you got the, the kingdom, or excuse me, the, the temple in Jerusalem are eventually destroyed, and then the, the people of God are sent in exile. They've been conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and, and then they come back, and the temple's rebuilt, and the city is restored, and the wall is, is put back up, and, and then you have this 400 years of silence. Like, that's, that's a quick run-through of, like, 
what happened from Genesis chapter 12. Like what I just told you is kind of like fast forward, right? All the way, all the way through. And then you have this 400 years of silence. I mean, just think about that. You know, like we can, we throw some numbers around sometimes. Like 400 years of silence. Like you don't even really think about it. You just, you just, you just hear 400 years of silence, right? And, and uh, uh, because at Malachi is the, the last recorded thing that we have. That was 400 years before, before Jesus shows up. 400 years of silence. I mean, just think, that's a long time. I mean, uh, uh, the United States of America only, what, 250 years old. You still got 150 more years to go of America before you get to how long the people of God had lived with no clear direction or no clear voice of God. Nobody speaking on God's behalf. So what happened is people just kind of started doing their own things, kind of going about their own business, right? Like they had this promise of the Messiah, but man, there hadn't been any prophet to remind them lately. 400 years. I mean, how many generations? Even if you lived 100 years, you're talking... It would have you. It would have been if you. If everybody lived a hundred years old, you're talking about it would have been your 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 mom, your grandma, your great grandma, your great great grandma, your great 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 grandma. Like the just the, the last person that heard of a, a reminder of what God wanted to do with His people. It was so long. It was so long, and five four hundred years of silence. And then it, it takes us to the fourth big story of the Bible, and that is Jesus. That Jesus shows up. The prophets had spoke about him. In the Old Testament, there's, four, uh, there's about 40, a little more than 40, direct prophecies about the Messiah. Um, you, you can get uh, over 300 indirect prophecies uh, about the Messiah in, in, uh, in, in the Old Testament. And Jesus shows up. He shows up to an oppressed people. He shows up to these people. They are, they are under the, the, the Roman rule. And when Jesus shows up, what we see is we see God's plan of redemption from the very beginning. When Jesus showed up, this wasn't like plan B, okay? This wasn't God freaking out, going, oh, God, we, I don't know what we're going to do. Son, you got to go fix it. I mean, like, that, that's not what was happening in heaven. This was God's plan of redemption from the very beginning because the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 13 that the lamb, speaking of Jesus, the lamb was slaughtered before the world was made. Now, when you think about that, you think that God created all this beauty, all this perfect place. He created man out of the dust of the earth, and God knew it was all going to fall apart in chapter 3. So before the world was even made, before he said, let there be light, before he put his hand in the dirt to create humanity, he already had the redemption story. It was already written. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. This wasn't plan B. God knew this would be the plan from the very beginning. His son being the ultimate sacrifice for our sin once and for all. Now, here's the really cool thing is that we see Jesus showing up on the scene. I told you a moment ago, like the four gospels, like it's the story of Jesus living on there. This is where we read about Jesus' miracles and his parables and what he said and 
all the things that he did, like that's in the Gospels that we read about his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But, but whenever you read the Old Testament, guess what? Jesus is still there. <laughs> Jesus didn't just like show up like, hey, here I am, son of God. No, Jesus had been here. He was with the Father, and, and he shows up. And, and, and many, many theologians and Bible scholars believe that, that when the angel of the Lord showed up to the three visitors that appeared to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter, I believe it's 18, 20, right, right around in there, um, uh, they believe that, that, that this, was, this was Jesus, the Christ incarnate, um, uh, the person who wrestles uh, with Jacob uh, before he crosses the river Jabbok. Uh, they, they, scholars believe well, this was the pre-incarnate Christ. It says the angel of the Lord, but it never gives a name. And, and many people believe that this was this Jesus that showed up to wrestle uh, with Jacob. Uh, um, when Joshua is getting ready to, to go after Jericho, they've crossed over uh, the Jordan River, and they're just about to, to, to attack Jericho. And he, he finds the, uh, uh, the the guy who identifies himself as the you know the, the the soldier in the army of the Lord, the commander, right? The commander of the Lord's army. Many people believe it's Jesus, right? It, it's the pre-incarnate Christ. And so we don't just see Jesus showing up on the scene in the gospels, we actually see Jesus throughout the Bible because Jesus was always there. He was always there, he was always a part of God's story. He was always a part of God's story. I mean, the Bible says in Colossians 1 that he is the one that created all things. He was there in the beginning. He spoke it all into his, he was working it all out, and he was there in the Old Testament. And, 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 and through it all, in Christ, we, we see, once again, we see God's commitment to humanity, right? We see God's commitment to humanity in, in the garden, even after sin. We see mercy. We see grace. We see love. We see his kindness. We see his goodness. It, it was there all along. And then we see God's commitment to humanity um, thousands of years later, right? When he sends Jesus to the earth, it's God's commitment. It is his so love. For John three sixteen. for God so love. Here at North Point, we say that so love is... Big love, so love is big love. God had so much big love for the world that he sent his one and only son. God had so much love, but it, it, it just speaks. And it's not like, okay, well, God just decided to love. No, you go all the way back into Genesis, and it's the same God. It's his kindness, it's his grace, it's his love, and we see it, and we see it absolute imperfection in Christ and in his sacrifice. And, and then the fifth, uh, the fifth big story line is the, the Christ followers. It's the church, right? So after Jesus, you get into the book of Acts, and it's the story of the, of the apostles, right? These were the disciples of Jesus. Now they're moving forward. They, they, they are the apostles. They are the leaders of the early church, and this message of Jesus begins to go out, and it begins to go out around the world, and, and it wasn't just a message for Jewish people. It was a message for all people. It's a beautiful thing when, when Jesus gathered his disciples, right, uh, and, and, and he tells them in, in, in Matthew chapter 28, right, so we call this the Great Commission, right, what does Jesus say to them? Go into all the world. Go into all the world. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into all the world. In Acts chapter 1, once again, Jesus talking to disciples. Now he's, 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 he's about to ascend into heaven. He's already been resurrected, right? Same as in Matthew 28 when he gives them the Great Commission. He's already been resurrected from the dead. He's about to ascend into heaven. And he tells them, hey, you need to, you know, you need to stay here and you need to wait in Jerusalem because there's going, to be, there's going to be power and there's going to be power to be my witness. And he says, there's going to be power to be my witness. And you say, where? He, says, he starts with in Jerusalem. Okay, that's good. He says, 
And then in Judea, okay, all right. Then he goes into Samaria. Okay, that's like, that's where the enemy lives, right? I mean, they, are not, they, are, they are not friendly to Samaritans, right? And then he goes, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is very clear in his directions. This good news that you have, this love and grace that you have encountered and you've experienced, it's not just for the children of Abraham. This is for the world. This is for the world. This was so difficult for these disciples to get, you know, and, and we read like in Acts chapter 10 when, when, when Peter, and, and this is the thing about the Bible. This is why, like, you, you have to, like, study and know these things because it speaks different things to you because whenever you just read the Bible, and, I, you know, the, it happens in Acts chapter 2, and, right, there's this, uh, this uh, it's the day of Pentecost, right, and uh, tongues of fire descend on the, uh, on the, uh, the 120 gathered in the upper room, and they, and they begin to speak in other tongues. Peter comes down, and, and he preaches, and, and man, like, uh, 3,000 people are saved and baptized that day. And it's really, you just flip like a couple chapters over, and what do you find? You, you find Acts chapter 10, and that's when Peter goes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a, a Roman military officer. Peter had no business being in his house. Peter was Jewish. They were not supposed to go into the, in, in, under the old covenant, right? Before They were not supposed to walk into a Roman's house. They were not supposed to have that interaction. And so uh, Peter has this, this experience uh, on the roof, and he's praying, and this, these animals come down on the sheet, and God's like, kill and eat, and it was like all the, you know, like the nasty animals, right? They're, Jewish people don't, they don't, they don't, they know, they're not eating a pig, you know what I'm saying? They don't know the glory of bacon, and so they're like, no, I'm not doing that. And, and God is like, he's like, hey, hey, bud, <laughs> don't you call unclean what I have told you is clean. They said, he didn't know about that, that raccoon. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody. Didn't know about that squirrel stew, right? That, that was, they were off limits. It was off limits for them. They couldn't eat these animals. And, and God says, no, no, no. It happens three times. And now Peter's perplexed. He's like, man, I, I see these animals. God says, kill and eat. Don't say what, that, you know, what I say is clean is unclean. And, and, and then, uh, then there's these people that show up. And they say, hey. We were told to come for you, and our, 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 our leader, Cornelius, he's a, he's a Roman, but, but, man, he was praying, and the angel told him, come get you, and you had the answers for him. And so Peter's like, man, I just had this vision, this animals, don't say unclean. Okay, I don't know what's going on right now. And he, he goes with them, and he goes all the way back to this other town. He journeys with them for a day. He gets there, and he, like, has this conversation with Cornelius. He's like, listen, I'm not really supposed to be here. Uh, I like, but, but, I mean, I think God may be doing something right now. I had this crazy vision, and I didn't do any drugs. And, like, I'm, you know, it's like I, I think maybe God's up to something right now. He goes in, he starts talking to Cornelius' household. As he's talking to them, Holy Spirit descends on them. They begin to speak in tongues the same way that the 120 people had done in the upper room, okay? And he's like, whoa, who are we to stand in the way? Like, these people need, yeah, of course they need to be baptized in water. Like, I wouldn't have known, but if God did this, I couldn't, I couldn't do this. Holy Spirit's done this, so they need to be baptized. And we read it like eight chapters later. And you think, oh, this was probably just six months. You know, probably like Peter's moving. No, scholars say it was between 10 and 14 years. 10 years later, and God is still having to get Peter's attention to go, hey, bud, when I said the whole world, I really meant it. <laughs> I mean, these are the people that were really with Jesus, right? I mean, these are the people that did, they, they sat by the fire, they heard his words, they saw his miracles, and he said, I want you to go into all the world. And 
somewhere, let's just call it 10, let's give Peter the benefit of the doubt. 10 years later, he's still arguing with God, going, I know, I, I'm not supposed to go in a Rome, like, I'm not supposed to go see the Romans. Like, surely that's not what Jesus really intended. 10 years later. So whenever you think that you're stubborn and like God's upset with you, <laughs> if God worked with Peter, he'll work with anybody. <laughs> but those things speak to us. They speak to us. It took him a decade to realize God was really serious about this. And God was so patient with him. God didn't kick Peter out of the club. I didn't say, Peter, man, I'm giving up on you, man. I'm going, I'm just gonna go find somebody else. Like, I'm I'm so tired of dealing with you. No, no, no. God was still showing up to Peter, giving him visions and aligning everything so he would understand that he really was serious. I really meant the world. I really meant take the gospel to everybody. This is what I really meant. God is so patient and he is so good. And so whenever we see the church and we, we, see, we see these things happening, we understand that, man, once again, God is so patient. He's so kind. He's so good even in the midst of these stories. Oh, man. It, 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 oh, God. And then you think, like, you got it bad. And you start reading, like, Corinthians. And Paul's like, hey, guys, listen, like, just don't, don't have sex with your mother-in-law, okay? Like, this is not good, God. Like, and you're like, oh, we ain't doing too bad today, okay? Okay, I'm encouraged by where we are in the church right now. I'm encouraged, right? I'm encouraged. Destiny just had to leave on that one. She's like, oh, God, he has gone off the, off the rails. But here's the reality. Like, the, the level of dysfunction in the early church Oh, my gosh, when you read about what Paul is writing and Peter, like you, these people had serious issues. But guess what? We are still here. Why? Because even in the midst of their confusion and even in the midst of their, their dysfunction, guess what they didn't do? They did not quit. And because they did not quit today, churches are on every single continent of the world. The name of Jesus is being glorified in tongues all over, all over this world, in languages all over this world by people groups all over this world. Why? Because they did not quit. They did not give up in the midst of all of it. They just kept on moving forward. It's beautiful. It's beautiful to see. And so whenever you start feeling like, God, man, my dysfunction, man, golly, like things are just so bad. Oh my God, things are so, no, no, no. Read your Bible. You realize we're doing a lot better than we think. I mean, I'm telling you, I didn't quit. They didn't quit. So that, that we, we see the Christ uh, and, and the church. And then the, the sixth thing is this, is the end time. And like I said about the beginning, uh, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know when. I, I, I don't know how. I, I, don't, I, can't, I can't describe it. For, this, is what I, this is what I know. God was there in the beginning, and he'll have the final word in the end. That's what I know. That's what I know. And I, and I, and I know we look forward to that day. We should look forward to that day. We should, we should look forward to that day with great anticipation when God wins the final battle. That's what we believe. Evil and wrong will be removed from the world. Everything that God says, it, 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 it will happen. Now, there is going to be a judgment? Absolutely. There is going to be a judgment. People are going to stand before God. And, and when we start talking about judgment, you know, there's, there's really... Uh, um, just quickly, like there, there, there. At the end, there, there is, there is two judgments, right? There's the the judgment of, 
you know, we get fancy with the titles, but it's basically the judgment of salvation, right? It's did you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus? It's, it's the judgment for heaven. That's what it is. Like you access heaven. If you, if you have put your faith, hope, and trust in, in God, and, and therefore, okay, then, then guess what? You, you get access into heaven. But then there is a second judgment. And then people get these confused sometimes. And the second judgment is where it starts talking about judging your works, right? And this is where people get confused because they start thinking, oh, God, if he's judging my works, I don't know. I don't know how this is going. I might not get in. I better start doing some good things because I really want to get into heaven. No. Access into heaven is based upon did you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, understanding that you would never be able to, 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 to earn it, to work for it, to deserve it. You're never going to be that good, and therefore you need a Savior, and you trusted Jesus to be your Savior, the sacrifice for your sins. That moment, okay, boom. Heaven is yours. But there is another judgment, and your works will be judged, and you will be rewarded. If we go back to where we started tonight, how much we look like Jesus, how much our life has become like him, and there's going to be rewards. And once again, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, and I don't know what that means. I just know it's going to happen because it's very clearly stated in the Bible. So access into heaven has nothing to do with your works, has nothing to do with how good you are or even how much you've grown like Jesus. No, it just has to do with, did you put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus? That gives you access into heaven. The works being judged, now that, that is, okay, what did you do with what God gave you? What did you do with his grace? What did you do with his mercy? What did you do with his word? What did you do, what did you do with all these things? And God will judge us uh, according to that and then will reward us with what we did. That's where the Bible says that, you know, uh, the, the stuff that is, you know, wood, hay, and stubble, man, it's just going to be burned up. But the stuff that we've worked on and it, and it, and it comes forth as a treasure, it comes forth as gold and silver, that, that, that's not going to be burned up. You're going to be rewarded for that in the end, okay? And so that, that is going down. So those are, the, those are the six big things. So as we talk through different things as we go throughout this year, We'll talk about people, and we'll talk about some, some, some biblical concepts and some themes of the Bible. And as we kind of go through all of that, it's important that you just don't, don't and even as you read your Bible, it's just important that you don't get lost all in the details, right? Remember the big picture. There was creation. Wow, God's amazing. He's all-powerful. There was the fall. Wow, God's incredibly merciful, right? Uh, there, there is Israel, God calling a people to himself, right? It's beautiful. Because when God called a people to himself, that's what God does for us. He calls us to himself, right? And the blessing of Abraham is the blessing that God wants to give us, right? And instead of giving us a physical land, we, it's what we talk about here. He wants, to give us, he wants to give us more than He wants to give us a life. It's not abundant land. It's an abundant life is what God wants to give us today, right? And, and God wants to bestow this blessing upon us, right, that our life would overflow, with his power, with his grace, with his mercy, with his life, that our life would overflow. It's this blessing that God wants to give each and every one of us. And so we, 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 see, the, we see the beauty in all of this. So as we go through it, just understand the, the, the context of where it's coming from. And then there's Jesus and the whole story of Jesus. And, and then the church and how important the church is. And, and then we get into the, the end. And the end is just a time to celebrate and say, oh, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be worried of. No, God is, God is on the throne, and he will still be on the throne when it's over. And he's in control of it all. And I trust him and however he wants to do it. And I'm not going to try to figure it out because I'm not him. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it the way he's going to do it anyway. And I, it doesn't matter. I just choose to trust him. And it's, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. All right, let's, 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 let's wrap up. 
let's wrap up. Um, man. Something's going to get cut. All right, whenever you read the Bible, all right, as you read the Bible, I mean, the Bible is, man, it's interesting stories. Uh, as you read the Bible, it's, it's really helpful, practical lessons. When you read the Bible, it, it, it's, it's, it's history, it, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Uh, but whenever you get to the heart of the matter, right, you, you have to ask yourself, okay, why was this written? Okay, why was this written? Uh, uh, because, uh, because God's in all of it. He's in the story. He's in the history. God is in all. So you ask yourself, okay, why was this written? What, what motivated these people who told these stories? What motivated these people who wrote these letters? What motivated these people who prophesied about this future? What, what, what motivated them? Where did this come from? What, what is their part? And you can really summarize their purpose into, into four headings. Uh, number one is a story, okay? They tell a story uh, they tell a story about God. They, they tell a story about how God invited people into his story to, to know him, to walk with him, to be loved by him. Uh, and, and there's a variety within the books that are, are used to tell this common story, whether we go to Genesis and God calling this people uh, to himself, whether you go into the Gospels and Jesus saying, come and follow me, whether you're in the early church and they're finding this identity in the Father and they're following him. It, it is just, it's part of this beautiful story. And then you have uh, the, second, the second kind of context is through relationship. And they, they, the, they wrote to speak about our relationship with God. Knowing God, following God, obeying God, reconnecting with God. The third would be community. Community. And community, it, it, it speaks about our relationship with other people, our, our relationship with the church, with other, with other Christ followers, right? And, and then we, we, we realize that so much of the Bible, it was, it was written for community. It wasn't just written for individuals. You know, it's very much, it's very much, very much an American thing because we are very, as a society, we're very much individualistic. Okay, and so we read the Bible as if it was, if it was written for for us, right? I mean, we even say things like, and, and, and it, is, it is true, but it's very individualistic. You know, that was only if you were the only person, Jesus would have died for you. That's very self centered. Uh, and it's like, and while it's like, okay, it's true, that's not actually what the Bible says. It says that Jesus died for the whole world. Are you in the world? And he, did he die for you? Absolutely. One hundred percent. But we have to also understand that the the that the, the majority of the Bible wasn't written for the individual reader; it was written for community. Okay, because it whenever the Bible was taught, it was taught in community. Now we have the now we have the you know print and press. You can get the Bible in whatever kind of translation you want, and you can get it with a pink cover or a leather cover or a hardback cover. You can get it however you want it. You can just, you read, you can have it on your phone now, right? You can just read it. And we just, and, and we, we individualize it, but that's not the way that it was. It's not, it's not, it's not how it started. The book of Acts, no, they weren't, they didn't have that. No, they had to come together. And what happened was they read it together. They would read the letter together. Everybody would gather around in the church and somebody would read Ephesians it was a letter to the church at Ephesus. So Ephesus would gather around, 
the leader of that place would receive this letter from the Apostle Paul, would read it to the community. And so sometimes we can get very individual, very individualistic about the word. And, 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 and I'm, I'm not saying anything's wrong. Is it God's promises for you in your life? Absolutely, yes. Is God speaking to you individually? Yes, absolutely. But we can't ever get away from the importance of the community aspect. God is speaking to us as a body. Okay, it, 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 is, it is meant for us to live out together, okay? And then, and then fourthly is society, right? So society, and, and this just speaks about our relationship to society, our relationship to the world. And so whenever people are writing, right, they're writing to tell you the story. They're writing to tell you about relationship with God. They're writing to tell you about relationship with others. Or they're writing to tell you about your relationship with society, your relationship with the world, relationship with people outside of the church. That pretty much you can take the Bible and you can put it in those four categories. Whether you're reading in Genesis, whether you're reading in James, whether you're reading in the Psalms, you can put it in those categories. That's where, uh, it's where everything in the Bible is, is going to fall. Okay. Let me just close with, with, with these thoughts. Um, so if, if, you, if, if we want to hear the Bible's message, okay, how do we read it? Okay, if you, if, if you want to hear the Bible's message, right, if you want to, if you want to really interpret, how do you read it? Number one is you, you recognize the variety in the Bible. The stories, the parables, the poems, the prayers, the prophecy, the proverbs, the vision, they speak to different areas of our lives, okay? So just recognize that there is variety. There, here's the beautiful thing. There's variety in personality. I can, I can tell you right now, whenever you read the book of James, and then you read John, you realize these two guys were not on the same page when it comes to their personality. I mean, James was like, boom. And John's like, I want to lay my head on Jesus' breast. You know, like, I mean, it's like, I mean, that's like, it's like, we're not talking about the same dude, right? It's like, no, these are, they're coming, so, cause they write with their personality. They write with their personality. You see it in the Old Testament, right? People writing, they're writing with their, with their own personality. And that's the beautiful thing. But here's what we have to understand. There is variety in the Bible. And if you think it's all going to be the same and you think that the Psalms uh, and, 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 you know, the Gospels are going to be exactly the same, you're going to be disappointed because there is David saying, God, where have you gone? You've abandoned me. You've disappointed me. You let me down again. I don't know where. You know, like you see, and you're like, oh, my God, what's going on right now? <laughs> Maybe you're like, I feel I feel this. This is really hitting me. Now, I don't know where you are, but you say, and then you read over here, and you're like, God will never leave me. God will never say, you realize, wait a minute. No, the, the people were writing. There's variety in the Bible, and it is all meant to tell a story that helps each and every one of us. But there's variety. Don't be shocked when it, when it sounds different or even when it feels different. Okay, number two is this. Sometimes try to read the Bible in large sections at one time. Okay, if you want it hear the message of the Bible. One of, one of the best things you can do is to take, to take a book of the Bible, okay, and just say, and you're going to take, you know, say one of the Gospels, say the Gospel of Mark, 16 chapters. It takes you between three and five minutes to read a chapter. It's 16 chapters, you know, like what's that hour, a little over an hour, right? Hour and 15 minutes, hour and 20 minutes. Probably could read it faster. You're just going to take it and read the Gospel of Mark. It's amazing what happens when you do that. Like, you, you start making connections that you, that you didn't miss. Because if you read one chapter a day, I mean, it's been 16 days since you read chapter 1 when you get to chapter 16. I don't know about you, but I can't remember what happened 16 minutes ago, much less 16 days ago. Like, what did I read in chapter 1? I'm not going to make that connection. But when you read it, boom, all the way through, 
you may connect. You're like, oh, wait a minute. I read, oh, wow. You know, and, it, and it's amazing what happened. I would really encourage you at some point to just read massive quantity. You don't have, I'm not saying like every day, but at some time, just say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read like the whole book of Matthew, the whole book of Mark. I, I'm going to read this whole, and I promise you, you will get something very, very, very different out of the stories and out of, of the scriptures. Here's number three. Um, uh, as you read, ask what insights the passage offers you. Because sometimes what, what can happen is that we read and we just we just read it to read it. Okay? I mean, and, and version can be the worst. How many of you have version? You read version. you know, you read it. Sometimes that can be the worst. You know why? Because you get the little check mark, you know? And I'm just like, okay, I did a click. You know, like, oh, yeah. I mean, and you'd be like, what'd you read? I'm like, I, it was good. <laughs> it's like they ask you, like, about the sermon, right? You know, what'd your pastor preach? <sighs> I don't know, but, man, it was great. <laughs> I don't know. But, you know, sometimes we just read it to read it, right? So you got to stop and ask yourself, what is this saying to me? What is my takeaway? What, what, what am I going to leave this time uh, 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 thinking about? What, what insight did I gain? All right, number, number four is uh, we, we must allow the Bible to ask us questions. The, the Bible should challenge us. When you read the Bible, it should challenge your current assumptions. When you read the Bible, it should challenge your behaviors. It should challenge your mentality. It should challenge your priorities. Whenever you read the Bible, you should allow the Bible to ask you questions because the Bible is not just words printed on a page, but it's God's attempt to speak to our mind and our heart. It's not just words on the page. That's why the Bible says that the, the word of God is alive, right? Hebrews 4, it says it's alive, it's powerful, it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. It cuts between the soul and the spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, right? This is the word of God. It is powerful, and it's not meant to just be read like words on a page. No, the intent is that God wants to get into your heart, and he wants to do some stuff in there. So we should be asking and looking, God, what are you trying to do? Okay, number, number five is this. Don't, don't, um, uh, don't feel like you have to get holy before you read it. Don't feel like you have to get some type of life-changing revelation or hear the voice of God every time you read the Bible. Don't get discouraged if you don't understand what you're reading sometimes. Don't get discouraged when you, when you forget to read a few days in a row, right? Just a whole bunch of don'ts. Don't do that. Don't, don't feel like you got to have a good day to read your Bible, or you got to put a few good days together so you can then, then, then read. You got to be holy. You know, you got to do something right to, before you read your Bible. And then don't think every time you read it, like you got to walk away with this, oh, man, I can't look at it. Oh, so, that's so good. I mean, sometimes I read it, and I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, God. Maybe I'll get it later. <laughs> you know, it happens, right? So don't beat yourself up because you don't understand. I'm telling you right now, don't, 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 don't do that. That's bad. Just keep, just keep showing up. Just keep reading. I promise you, God is going to speak to you through through the process. And then last, the last thing I'll share with you. Uh, is that uh, uh, is that the Bible is not a cookbook? Okay, the Bible is not a cookbook. 
The Bible doesn't give us an exact recipe for every problem and every circumstance in life. So don't read it that way. The Bible is not, is not a cookbook. The Bible, it, it, it is more of a compass than it is a cookbook. It's leading and it's guiding you in the right direction. Don't go into the Bible to find the answer for every little single problem that you have in your life because you will only get frustrated because those exact problems might not be in there. Go to the Bible, not as, not as a cookbook with recipes, four tablespoons of this and one tablespoon of that and half a slab of this and whatever. Then I, I, Obviously, I don't cook. Uh, but understand that the Bible is a, it's a compass. It, it, it's a guide. It's to speak to you and to, and to take you in, in the right direction. So, so, so don't look for the Bible to give you the exact answer for what it is that you're going through. No, Jesus wants to lead you, and he gave you this as, as a guide to help you along your journey. And guess what? That's what this is all about. These Wednesday nights are just to help the compass of God's word come alive in your life, to help lead you and guide you into better decisions, into, into wiser and, and, and better thinking, to being a better spouse and a better parent, to being a, a closer follower of Jesus or your life looks more like him. It's just, it's just about allowing this compass to come alive. That's, that's what this time is all about. That's what these nights are going to be about. And, and we're going we're gonna to dive in next week. And we're just going to, we're going to start with, 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 with Jesus. And in Luke chapter 4, this is, where, this is where we're going. I've really felt led strongly to go in this direction. Because whenever Jesus... He was, he was 40 days fasted, and then he was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. Tempted three times by the devil. Jesus responds with scripture every time. Jesus comes back from the wilderness, back into his hometown, into society. And he goes into the synagogue, and this is where in Luke chapter 4, he has handed the scroll of Isaiah, and it's where Jesus reads this, and he says, uh, and these are the words of Isaiah prophesying about him. So now Jesus is reading the words in church, if you would, in the synagogue, right? It, it, he's reading these words that Isaiah had written talking about him, and he says this. He says, so the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. It says, then he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All of the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. What Jesus was saying was what Isaiah wrote, he wrote about me. I am this person that the Lord's favor is upon. I am this person that has come to proclaim the good news to the poor. But we're going to focus on this. And it says that he sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. He says that the blind will see and that the oppressed will be set free. Right there, Jesus saying, 
like I came to preach this good news to the poor. The, the, the captives are going to be released. The blind are going to see, and the, and the uh, oppressed are going to be set free. Here in these four things, we see two, two things dealing with freedom. And so what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks is the freedom that Jesus came to bring. And we're going to talk about freedom. And Pastor Clarissa is going to be helping me. And, and over the next few weeks, we're going to dive in to this mission that Jesus came to set the captive free. Because here's what we all have to know. We're all captive to something. We're all captive to something. Every single one of us. We, we are all oppressed by something. We all, we all have a tendency to be trapped by something. Every single one of us. I, I believe when, when the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 says, throw off the sin that so easily entangles, I believe he was letting us know that there, there's, you know what the sin is for you. It's not just sin, it's the sin for you. Because we all have that one thing that keeps showing up. <laughs> it showed up when we were 12 and it showed up when we were 22 and it showed up when we were 38 and it just, it just keeps on, it keeps on showing up, right? It is just the thing for us. It is the thing. And you know what we need? We need freedom from that thing. We need freedom from that thing. And so we're going to be talking about that over the, over the next few weeks. And, 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 and if Jesus said, hey, he said, this is what he wrote about me. This is why I came. And two things of the four, I'm going to preach the good news, and, and the blind are going to see. But the other two have to deal with the captive being released, those who are oppressed and struggling and burdened, being set free, come on now, that's what I want. <laughs> that's what I want in my life. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into that uh, uh, for the next three weeks. Actually, we're going to be talking about freedom. What does freedom mean? Because here's what we, so many times we mistake this and we think freedom, like we think like from addiction or something, right? Like freedom from alcohol or freedom from drugs, like free. That, that, that's where our mind tends to go. But no, 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 no. Don't let that be a limiting factor. There, there, are, there are lies that we have believed that we need to be free from. There are limitations and identities that we've put on ourselves that we need to be free from. There are things that other people have spoken over us that we have lived out in our lives and we need to be free from. There's ways of thinking that we need to be free from. There is so much. It's, not, it's not drugs and alcohol. No. Does it include that? Sure. But it's so much bigger than that. So I hope, you'll, I hope you'll be here for the next few Wednesdays as we really kind of dive in to say, this is what Jesus came for. He said, this is, what I, this is what I came for. I came to open up your eyes so you would see. Because sometimes the, we don't even realize that we are a captive, right? I don't even realize that we're trapped in this way of thinking or this way of believing. He says, I came out to open up your eyes. And I came to preach the good news. The good news that you can be set free. The good news that you don't have to stay where you are. The good news that you can be healed. You can't be delivered, and you can't be set free. And he says, that's what I came for. I came for the oppressed, and I came to, that the captive might be set free. So we're going we're gonna to dive into that in the next few weeks, and, uh, and I'm really, really, really excited and, and, and looking forward to as we really begin to explore this thing of freedom that Jesus came to give us. Amen? And I, can't, I want everything that Jesus came to give me. <laughs> I need every bit of it. And so uh, that, that's, where, that's where we're going. Hey, it's going to be an awesome time this year. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here for the first one. We're, we're going to pray and we're going to close. Uh, but I want to just kind of give you today just a little overview of the Bible. What, what, where, where is this? What was the context? Of this? Where does it all kind of fit? And, uh, and then we're just going to dive into different portions of the Scripture as we go, uh, as we go throughout, uh, throughout this year. Um, so our goal is we're going to do it in segments. 
just so you know. So we're going to kind of do three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, whatever. You're going to know what you're going to know. Like I just told you, like for the next three weeks, we're going to be doing freedom. That's already set. Okay, the next three weeks, we're going to be doing freedom. You'll know what's going to come after that. So it's not just going to be, okay, uh, we're just kind of, you know, shooting. Oh, you know what I was reading and so on. Okay, you know, no, no, no. You're going to know what we're studying. You're going to know what's coming. You're going to know what it's going to involve. And we're going to, we're just going to do that uh, throughout the, uh, throughout the entire year. Uh, and I'm, I'm really excited uh, about the discipleship that's going to happen here, what we're going to learn and, and how we're going to grow and how we're going to become more like Jesus as we all go on this journey together. Amen? Amen. Come on, let me pray for you. Father, God, I, I ask that you would take these uh, simple truths, God, these simple truths of your word that were shared tonight. God, this big picture. God, let us leave with a big picture, understanding of who you are. God, that you are this awesome creator God that did not give up on us. You did not turn your back on humanity, but God, in your goodness and in your kindness, you have continued to pursue us so much so that you sent your one and only son to, to, to die in our place, to take our sin upon himself so that we could live in relationship and unbroken fellowship with you. Jesus, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being willing to go to the cross for each and every one of us. God, thank you that you are, are with us in this journey, and God, that we are a part of your awesome story. And God, continue to allow us to see it clearer and clearer and clearer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, 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 and amen.